Welcome to Seeking Alpha's Wall Street Breakfast, your daily source of market news and analysis. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Welcome to Seeking Alpha Editor's Roundtable, what moved markets this week for the week ending September 24th, a tumultuous week which was marked by the Fed meeting on Wednesday and interest rate policy statement. We had a bunch of drama around Evergrande in China, now basically missing a bond payment yesterday. And last, but by no means least this morning, we had the People's Bank of China coming in and saying they are banning all activities related to cryptocurrencies. And who knows, they maybe even mean it this time. So I'm very curious about what my colleagues here have to say about all of this and about other things that have caught their interest this week. I'll introduce them now in no particular order. I am joined by Brad Olison, the VP of News, Kim Khan, Senior News Editor, and Stephen Alfer, Managing Editor of Breaking News. Kim, let's kick it over to you to get us started. Well, the Fed was crucial to the week for both the stock and bond markets, and it was looking really rough for the stock market of the first three trading days going into the Fed. Evergrande had, uh, you know, shaken the mar- global markets a little bit and it was looking like another down week. But now the S&P is pretty much fighting just around the, the unchanged markets. It's looking a little higher for the week right, right as we speak. And in the bond markets, um, you know, there was a delayed reaction. I mean, the, the yield curve flattened right after they had the Fed statement in the Q, Q&A, um, kind of taking into account that shorter term rates would be coming up based on the dot plot. And then you know, the next day, um, Norway hiked. Um, you know, the Bank of England looked like it's looking to hike. And suddenly this whole global central bank um, removing accommodation thesis went in and yield shot up and uh, the 10 years are now uh, above 1.4%. People have referred to it as a kind of mini taper tantrum. I'd say we'd have to get anywhere close to the highs of the year, 1.7% to in the 10 year to say that's really a tantrum though. So I think, you know, Powell did a good job again, even though he was more hawkish this time, kind of giving some, you know, advanced notice on tapering and then, you know, you know, defending the dot plot as best he could. And, you know, you've got to give him some credit for not spooking the markets. Yeah, although he did say that the tapering would be done probably by mid-2022, so by the middle of next year, which was perhaps a little bit sooner than people were anticipating because that would potentially also move up rate hikes. But we'll just have to see about all of that. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Who's next? Brad, what were you watching this week? Who are the winners and losers? So it it seems like October came a little bit early um, this week. October is traditionally the most volatile month. Um, This is according to to recent research from from Goldman Sachs, um, typically because we have a host of earnings reports and analyst days. But obviously, the Evergrande story was the story for this week. I mean, the Fed did happen to you know, have its decision. And, um, but, but, I, but I think that the buy the dip was, was the story on Friday, JP Morgan was again, calling for people to be buying equities. There's no alternative. They doubled down on Monday saying to buy the dip in light of the Evergrande crisis, the biggest 
losers to start the week were Iron Ore and other cyclically uh, geared names, you know, Rio, Vale, uh, materials and energy sectors got walloped to start the week. But then you, you saw some PBOC injections that helped kind of ease the fears in China. And all of a sudden, uh, people started to buy the dip rather aggressively. And by the end of the week, you couldn't really determine that there was any sort of real sell-off in the market if you looked at the actual winners and losers on an individual base, basis, so much so that that even though energy and materials were among the biggest to get hit at the beginning of the week, by the end of the week, names like ConocoPhillips, Devon Energy, Apache, and Diamondback Energy were among some of the biggest winners. In addition to that, uh, the winner's column, you had some of the reopening names, these gro growth and cyclically geared names like United Airlines and Expedia, partially because we did see some of the, the lifting of the travel bans from, from Europe, which tended to assist some of those names. Expedia CEO was also out uh, doing some of the rounds uh, amid a conference appearance, talking about renewed travel interest. Cruise names also got a lift, Norwegian Cruise Line and Carnival Cruise. They provided some updated data on their ships returning to service and the demand um, there. So, you know, even though we did get that fear at the beginning of the, the, the week, Dip buyers come in, came in and saved the market, and in addition, we we got some of this positive economic news. That that being said, you know, not all the economic news was positive. On the losers column, FedEx cut its profit outlook on their on higher costs that they're seeing, um, and and obviously they they have their their thumb on the heartbeat of the global economy. So you could argue there were some some worries there, um, but. You know, what I found most interesting, at least as far as the, the losers were concerned, was Adobe's earnings. Mm. Um, Adobe was among the, the biggest losers. And one of my favorite, favorite mechanisms within the market is that they can beat and the shares still fall off. You know, the consensus is the consensus, right? Everyone has their expectations of what the company will do. So when they beat those expectations, shares still fall and everyone says, oh, well, they were just, they disappointed everyone. Well, Everyone already gave you their expectations. So how are you disappointed? They beat it. But I guess, you know, you always have to look past that, that the true expectation, the consensus for like a shadow expectation. And if you were to look at, for instance, you can go on Seeking Alpha, you can look at Adobe's earnings surprise um, tab, and you can find that Adobe typically will always beat um, on the on earnings and, and more often than not on revenue. And so I think one analyst pointed to the fact that this was a skinny beat. So not only do you have to beat, but you have to beat by enough to truly surprise and, and, and excite the market. And people always talk about, you know, shares were running up into the results. Well, the results are still the expectations um, of the, of, of the investment community. So I was just find it's a fun little mechanism to, to, to watch, but, yeah, Adobe, um, again, just failing to to meet the shadow expectations on the street. Mm. All right. We also had some other corporate news. And what were you watching there, Steve? I'll just follow up on what some of what Brad said. Uh, the FedEx results were really interesting to me. They had a big miss and they had to cut guidance due to higher labor, not just higher labor costs, but literal shortages of workers. Like they, they just, no matter what they do, they just, they just can't bring in enough workers. Uh, the earnings call, uh, their CEO gave an example of their Portland hub. They currently have about 65% of the necessary the workers they need to handle just normal traffic, and traffic is booming right now. And that causes all kinds of problems down the line, right? They have to reroute stuff to other places. They have to put more miles on their trucks driving. They have to uh, go to third-party vendors. 
they're frustrated because they can't get stuff out at the cost they're used to doing it. Their customers get frustrated because of the service isn't as good. These sorts of things are happening throughout the economy. And I would think it doesn't bode well for corporate profits. It will bode well for corporate, profit, corporate profits for some, but for many, uh, won't bode well. Uh, and you have to think uh, these stories are, are filtering through to uh, even Washington, D.C. and the Eccles building at the Fed. And, you know, might be, a look, might be behind what I thought or what a lot of people think was a kind of surprisingly hawkish uh, tilt to Jay Powell's press conference. Yeah, you mentioned- uh, I would also note the mm-hmm. Fed, you know, they cut their outlook for economic growth and for the, jo- the jobs recovery for this year and sharply hiked their inflation outlook. Hmm. Um, so that's stagflation that's uh, and, you know, in a word right there. Right. That's right. Yeah, FedEx shares down uh, another almost percent today. They're uh, trading right around 52-week lows. Yeah, that was the, it was their biggest move since the COVID, yeah. COVID shutdowns in March 2020. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still well above the, the high, the lows from 2020, but still big, big move in FedEx shares. And it'll be interesting. And, and nobody mentioned supply chains. Nike had earnings, and they said that um, supply issues in Vietnam were causing havoc more than they had prepared for. And uh, that hurt those shares as well. I think what's going to be interesting, we talked last week about Under Armour and and some of the factories shifting and the fact that you can't get any goods onto a container ship and everyone would have to lean more heavily on air freight. And you just wonder, well, if it's not FedEx, where's where's that air freight going? Yeah. Yeah. So a a lot of stuff going on and and not, not lest we forget also FedEx. China, it would also be a major impact on, on their business to the extent that there is an economic slowdown in China, which now one would think is all but inevitable, but who knows. All right, let's move on to the next segment of the show where we discuss our favorite stories, articles from contributors, tweets, and other things of interest that we have come across. And let's start with Kim. I'm going to go with Apple entering the um, bidding for NFL Sunday ticket, which is interesting. A lot of people thought it was kind of, um, you know, Almost a foregone conclusion that was going to probably go to Amazon, who have already already shown football. But you know, uh, as far as Apple's concerned, it would be a big deal for Apple TV. I mean, Ted Lasso Emmys aside, it hasn't done that well on the streaming front, so that would be a, a big move for it. And also, they were talking about kind of features like okay, just follow one team, or you know, just take games kind of a la carte, and you know, you have it on your phone and just pick the game you want. And you know, it's a you know, I I can see people arguing that things shouldn't be flowing to these you know big mega cap companies constantly, but you know I also find it tough to argue with the idea that either Apple or Amazon is going to do a better job than Directv run by AT and T is going to do. Formerly run by AT and T, they spun yeah. it out. Yeah, good question, Brad. What about you? Favorite stories? Just a little. Um... You know, I not a guilty pleasure here, and we don't want to kick anyone wise down. But um, why not? It's fun. Go ahead. I know, and this is that's it's your that's your beat. But right. uh, Paulson um, getting divorced and mm. uh, hedge fund hedge fund hedge fund billionaire rough year returned to a family office um, after I guess returns had struggled for quite some time. People had requested their assets to to come back his way. Um, and it's just a rough year for billionaires broadly, right? Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates, I think that kind of shocked the world. They seemed like they were a very happy couple. Um, 
But yeah, uh, Paulson's getting divorced. We did a quick item on on his holdings um, and any likelihood that he might have to divest any of the the ownership there, or at least pass it along to his wife. Uh, no, according to page six, there was no prenup, mm. so this could potentially get a little bit messy. Some of the top holdings there included Horizon Therapeutics, Brights Brightsphere investment um, and and Bausch Health, uh, formerly known as Valiant. Um, some other interesting holdings, especially in light of the China news that we we're talking about, is that he did have a, a stake over $100 million in DD Global, um, which has also been in the news um, a lot recently. Yeah. Also, according to page six, John Paulson has a new girlfriend who is 33 years old, which is about half of his age, and is, I believe, an Instagram influencer. Um, okay, so kicking the guy when he's dead. Well, that's that's actually not kicking him. That's kind of like anyway. But but Steve, what about you? Uh, my favorite story is Twitter uh, on iOS is beginning to allow tipping uh, via the Bitcoin network. Uh, it's a pr- pretty amazing. I don't know how many how many users they have, hundreds of millions or a billion users, uh, but they're bringing Bitcoin awareness to all of them. One of the knocks against Bitcoin was that it couldn't it's too slow to ever be used as, as for payments, but the Lightning Network, uh, which is kind of built on top of the Bitcoin network, allows basically instant free uh, money transfers. Uh, and as little, you know, as in micro transfers or, or, or billion dollar transfer, it's all free or relatively free and it's all instant. So Elon Musk has been kind of silent on that. He kind of ignorantly you know, suggested over the past few months that Bitcoin needs bigger block sizes. And, and, you know, that's all been hashed out years ago that he said Bitcoin could never be used for payments. He suggested Dogecoin would be better. Uh, but this kind of puts a lie to, and just shows how, I don't know what, whether he was just trying to tweak people or was just ignorant of the facts, but it is happening. Uh, it's a really fascinating development. Of course, that's juxtaposed overnight with China. Uh, some fun out of China about them you know, banning crypto for, you know, the umpteenth, umpteenth time over the past few years. The price reacted negatively. So, you know, as far as the price of Bitcoin, it remains kind of stuck in a range between, I don't know, whatever, you know, 45 and 35,000. Yeah, it's actually down a little more. It, it, it was down as much as down to almost 40, or I think even right around 40. And it's now around 42. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting developments. Uh, not so much crypto as much as China. That just remains a real um, focal point, I think. The Evergrande situation, it's interesting how it goes back and forth here between it being like a Lehman moment and then it being completely benign and more like Russia in 98, which, as we all know, um, gave way then to 1999 and a historic rally for risk assets. And um, maybe this is somewhere in between, one would think, but it's just it's just a, a interesting situation that bears watching. And, and also, if it does spread... Because most of, uh, you know, a lot of Chinese wealth is tied up in real estate and, and these things rarely happen in a vacuum. So it's just going to be worth paying attention to, I think. So that would be my favorite story. Go ahead. I, was, I find it really interesting the use of the Lehman moment because around that, everybody was worried about like the idea of the, um, you know, capitalization of the banks, you know, was na- akin to nationalization. I mean, you want to wonder, like the people are saying, okay, China's going to let Evergrande fail. You know, if any country could nationalize a company, it should be China. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably already kind of national. Right. I mean, so, I mean, it's like, yeah. And so, it'll I depend mean, on it, who's going to lose the money, right? So if it's uh, if it's the, the, the bondholders who are foreign, they might lose the money and then China will just pick up the pieces and just say tough. You know, it seems like they're already kind of skipping the the waterfall of, of the, the normal waterfall of creditors and right. just bypassing certain uh, people picking who's going to you know, take a default and who's not going to take a, a right. default of bond payment. So right. An interesting headline cost that was kind of tangential to this, but I thought was key was that China saying that it's going to push for more housing, which is kind of telling Evergrande that you're going to have to, for certain developments in within China and for, for, for housing for its citizens, that it's going to have to come through. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, the interesting, oh yeah. I mean, look, the international bondholders of Evergrande are probably going to get nothing or next to nothing. Equity holders obviously completely wiped out, and, but then after that, the the like the tangential effects, um, you know, as far as what Chinese banks have exposure to Evergrande and how much, and how much of an impact uh, default by Evergrande will have on them, that is, is I think the bigger question that not anybody knows the answer to quite yet, um, and why this is all still very much a developing situation. All right, then, uh, with that, we uh, will conclude this week's roundup. We thank you all for watching or listening. This video airs every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. You can get it at the website, Wall Street, no, um, seekingalpha.com slash videos slash alpha dash talks. Uh, still working on that one. And on the, the audio uh, version you get on Saturday mornings through the Wall Street Breakfast account, uh, it airs around 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And with that, we thank you for paying attention this week and look forward to speaking to you again next time. That concludes today's Wall Street Breakfast. Thank you for listening. For the best investment analysis and news on the web, go to SeekingAlpha.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can sign up for our other podcasts, Behind the Idea, Essay for FAs, Let's Talk ETFs, the Cannabis Investing Podcast, and Marketplace Roundtable on those platforms as well. Have a great day.